The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, once again, I had the privilege to attend and record the annual Gene Batten Lecture, which is held by the Bay of Plenty branch of the Royal Aeronautical Society. In this third annual Gene Batten Lecture, the main speaker was the Reverend Richard War, talking about the history of National Airways Corporation, or NAC. He was introduced by the Royal Aeronautical Society's Bay of Plenty branch chairman, Des Underwood. Here's Des. Good evening and welcome to the Gene Batten Lecture for 2018. And tonight I'd like to acknowledge a number of people, including um, Classic Flyers for having us uh, in this venue, and uh, especially for our uh, for Jan and Alex for reception for tonight, so thank you very much for that. VIP guests, uh, Greg Brownless, Mayor of Tauranga, and uh, Bill and Nolene Reeves, the manager of Air New Zealand Tauranga. So our guest speaker tonight is unaccompanied, but his name is uh, Richard War, and he's here in the front row, and we'll talk a little bit more about him uh, in a moment. So I'd like to welcome members and guests of the Bay of Plenty branch, some actually are former NAC uh, airline staff members. I also like to acknowledge our previous speakers, some of which are, some of who are here tonight. I won't name them, but you can see them. Uh, the uh, Aviation Historic Society New Zealand members, and Richard and Peter in the front row are uh, members. Also, my colleagues, some of my colleagues in the Classic Flyers Volunteers Group, and to Dave Homewood, who's doing the video tonight. And this is the first time we've been able to acknowledge him as an honorary member of the Bay of Plenty branch. That um, was made on the basis of uh, Dave's work with the Wings Over New Zealand web forum. He does that uh, day in and day out. And the, uh, maybe you can tell us what your following is. Uh, it's, it's over 5,600 members. So. Right, so there you go. So this is another um, opportunity for 
members of the public, individuals, whether they, are, uh, they have aviation backgrounds or not, just an interest, you can log on and uh, follow, the, follow the progress. One of the things that one of my committee members, Mike Feist, uh, does is post onto Dave's website, the Wings Over New Zealand, um, the progress we are making on our Avenger um, torpedo bomber down in number three hangar. And uh, every week Mike goes around and takes pictures and suddenly the next night they appear on the website. So that's good. And lastly, I'd like to acknowledge uh, the support of my committee, Jack Best, Mike Feist, Wally G, and Graham Lister. Graham's a ex-NAC man, and um, uh, easy to get him going, just talk about airlines. So his expertise was in freight, and uh, served in the, uh, as I said, in NAC. So the two pictures there are um, pieces of the um, NAC displays that are at um, Classic Flyers. One's a uh, display that uh, we'll invite you to go and look at after the lecture. It's in the main hangar, so very easy to get to. And the second is the refurbished um, Heron, uh, de Havilland Heron, which is at the bottom. So what does the branch do? Uh, the Payapleti branch of the Royal Aeronautical Society is a division, uh, is part of the New Zealand division. So it basically does what it uh, thinks is appropriate to preserve and protect and extend and progress the knowledge of aviation in New Zealand. And um, one of the things, as well as branch meetings and lectures and field days that we do, um, we participate and create some of the uh, keeping in touch with aviation, which Mike Feist does, along with Grayson Ottaway, who's um, another avid uh, aviation buff. It, I think his handle is um, Aviation Geek, as a, as a, so that tells you how keen he is on it. Um, the next airfield days, we're thinking of going to Wittianga. There's a group there that uh, is building a, an aircraft in the school, and uh, we've been watching those, and uh, we will um, go and uh, visit them later in the year. The last thing that I'd like to mention is the recognition of people in aviation, and um, every year the New Zealand Division has an annual awards program and the Bay of Plenty branches made the following nominations to these people. So some are in the room. Uh, they have received invites to a, a dinner, which uh, rather suggests that the nomination is uh, going to bear fruit, but um, we won't know until the end of, November, in the end of October. So um, Meritorious Service Award nomination for Andrew Gormley, who you know from here and uh, Bruce Chapman, who you also know from here. Um, the E.A. Gibson uh, Award is an exceptional one. It's exceptional contribution to New Zealand agricultural aviation. And if you remember, last year we did a, um, a meritorious service award to another ag pilot, and that was, his name was Derek Williams, and that was successful. 
Andy Stevenson, not so well known to us, but certainly on the East Coast, having operated uh, for 50 years in ag aviation and um, with a company called Farmers Air, which he uh, originated. So that's sort of a bit of an idea of what we do. And uh, last thing before we get on to the lecture is the Jean, the Jean Batten lecture. This is the history of it. So it was conceived as a, uh, a named lecture. It's one of the things that the uh, Aeronautical Society does worldwide. And uh, we felt that Jean uh, Batten was a, a worthy person to name a lecture after. She was born in Rotorua, so we consider that's part of the Bay of Plenty. And um, that was in 1909. And um, the first lecture uh, in 2016 um, talked about the exploits of Jean Batten. Our speaker, Brian Lockstone, had uh, mixed views on the merits of Jean Batten, not on her skill as a pilot, but on her contribution that she made to New Zealand aviation. He thought it was less than, less than, um, less than some might have uh, viewed. Last year, uh, we had Brian Lockstone come back uh, to do a, another lecture, and this is around the WW1, uh, W100, which is the 100th anniversary of World War One, with an aviation theme, and the lecture was called New Zealand and the Air War 1914-18. And he chose um, Lieutenant William Byrne, who was the first uh, New Zealand casualty air, uh, airman uh, in uh, World War I and covered a whole range of other things. We did have a plan for, um, like to plan a, a year ahead, um, but uh, in the middle of the year we came up with, a, uh, with a, um, a new challenge and the new challenge was answered somewhat by um, Graham Lister's um, program where he convenes the um, NAC staff reunion lunches every year and this one was um, the year of the Godwit, which is the last time the Godwit flew. And the, the Godwit, if you hadn't realised, is the, the brand for NAC. The uh, ZK NAC was the first of the line to fly, looks as though to fly the Godwit brand, and of course the um, Tauranga will have also seen the Godwit fly here aboard the uh, Fokker Friendship. Interesting, the other aircraft never had it, so this, I'm not sure when the Godwit appeared and when it disappeared, but we do know that it disappeared in 1978, and I'm sure Richard will tell us about that shortly. So before handing over to Richard, I'd just like to uh, give you a quick background of Richard. He was uh, raised on the West Coast in an aviation family. His dad was a, a World War II pilot and came to New Zealand and flew on the West Coast with the aviation pioneers there. Richard is a member of the Aviation um, Historic Society of New Zealand uh, and his 
passion for aviation is in airline history. He's um, part of a group which is called New Zealand Airline History and there's a website and there's a, a dozen or so books that he and others have um, authored. So the two people that have contributed to that uh, group is Richard himself and Peter Lane who's sitting in the front row here. Richard is a member of the Honourable Company of Airline Pilots of which he's the chaplain and his day job is a, is a uh, Wesleyan chaplain in uh, the eastern side of, southeastern side of um, Auckland City. So with no further ado, I will uh, take over the uh, support of Richard as he delivers his speech. And after the speech, we'll invite questions and then we'll do a formality, which we like to do here, which is called a, a vote of thanks. And I'll ask Graham Lister to do that. So bear with us for a sec or two while we uh, change out. Thank you for the, for the welcome, and especially having uh, Mayor Greg with us too, and many other guests. I know some of your faces. Great to see you, especially the NAC family people. And uh, some of you will be able to interject. Be as polite as you can. Um, because I have, a, um, as I say, a pictorial sort of overview of um, NAC and its uh, significant contribution to New Zealand as our national airline from 1947 to 1978. And uh, in fact, one of the statistics I touch on at the end is that 30 million passengers were carried by NAC. Remarkable um, history and story and uh, we'll see when we can get underway. I want to first of all give a um, a little bit of political background in terms of the setup, how it was set up by the government uh, out of World War II. That, that'll just take me a few minutes and then we'll sort of get into the, the rhythm and I've analysed it in four year blocks right from 1947 to 1978. So uh, we'll, um, we'll see how we get on. You'll see some, some of the images on the screen. And I do acknowledge Peter Lane here, who one of my co-authors, who's uh, really an expert on NAC. In fact, his father worked for NAC the entire time, didn't he, from 1947 to, to 1978. There's the God there too. Right. All set there, Des? Yeah. Well, when the, um, the Governor-General, Sir, uh, Cyril Newell, put down his pen after signing the New Zealand National Airways Act into law on the 7th of December 1945, just a few months after the war ended. It marked the end of a long political process and the beginning of a new era that would shape New Zealand aviation for more than a third of a century. Now the new legislation in part stated, an act to make provision for the incorporation of the New Zealand National Airways Corporation for the purpose of establishing and operating national air transport services to meet the needs of the people of New Zealand and for the purpose of fostering and encouraging the use of air transportation within New Zealand and between New Zealand and other countries and to make provision for other matters incidental thereto. Now, before the war broke out, back in 1934, New Zealand air services were brought under the control of the Transport Coordination Board First of the new air licences were granted on the 4th of December 1934 to East Coast Airways of Gisborne, 
to operate from Gisborne to Hawke's Bay to, to, to Napier and to air travel New Zealand Limited of Hokitika, where I grew up as a child, to operate services to South Westland. So no surprise, the first two airlines in New Zealand, Gisborne and Hokitika, for obvious reasons of uh, conquering isolation. It was Captain Bert Mercer's um, Hokitika airline that was first to fly, pioneering scheduled services from December 1934 followed by East Coast Airways in Gisborne, Cook Strait Airways in Nelson, and then Union Airways from Palmerston North. Now, these were privately owned um, regional airlines, all soon uh, underway using a variety of British uh, de Havilland biplanes, and we'll see one of them on the screen next. So they used DH-83, 84, 86, and 89 aircraft. That's a DH-86 there at the bottom, Union Airways, and... Uh, Union Airways originally wanted to be called National Airways, but the, the government of the time banned the use of the term national by any non-government organisations, and so licences were soon granted to Union Airways for main trunk routes with Morris Clark as manager and later general manager. Now, Union Airways, with 99.2% of its shares held by the Union Steamship Company, the shipping companies were very clever they recognised they were in the transportation business and so they invested heavily in aviation, established its base in Palmerston North and inaugurated services with the DH-86 in uh, January 1936 and the pioneering service flew from Palmerston North, uh, considered the sort of centre of New Zealand at that time, to Woodburn and Blenheim, to Wigram in Christchurch and to Tyree in Dunedin. And in the first year, the airline carried 6,871 passengers and achieved, uh, of its scheduled 736 flights, only nine were cancelled due to bad weather. The 1930s, the late 1930s, were a very halcyon period uh, of airline advance in New Zealand, with routes being established by these four pioneer airlines from Auckland in the north to Dunedin in the south, and safe and regular services were established, which was a real tribute to the Kiwi pilots, engineers uh, and administration staff, and a testimony also to the remarkable reliability of the, the pioneering aircraft. And while there were some accidents during those early years, there were no passenger fatalities in the late 1930s, quite remarkable. Now, with this uh, private enterprise success, it should be recognised that much of the civil aviation infrastructure costs, such as aerodromes and airways communications, were borne by the government. So from late 1939, New Zealand was at war, the government took over many of the airline's aircraft, reducing Union Airways operations to a limited Lockheed Electra service flying from Auckland to uh, Dunedin and helped by the introduction of a, a later larger Lockheed Lodestar aircraft in 1943, some expansion was possible by Union Airways later to Invercargill. In early 1945, services to Napier and Gisborne recommenced. Now, during the war years, the government had not been idle in its consideration of what was going to happen when World War II came to an end, and what was going to happen in terms of the shape of airline services. And a key early decision had been the New Zealand government partnering with those of Australia and Britain to become shareholders of Tasman Empire Airways Limited, TEAL, 
which began the first international services uh, uh, from Australia to New Zealand in April 1940. From the time of the, the Labour Party gaining office in 1935, policy was developed for public control of key services, including Pioneer Airlines. And there's a report that was published in 1935 that uh, supported the contention, endorsed by the, the government of the time, that uh, air transport should, not, should be viewed as a, a public utility and it was not viable, acknowledging New Zealand's small population and you know, geographical shape, for there to be competing airlines. Instead, a state-controlled airline would be best. And this led uh, to uh, the suggestion of a, of a statutory corporation operating on a non-profit and non-competitive basis similar to Trans-Canada Airlines. So the draft bill was uh, put together and um, went to the Minister in August 1945 and included the important provision for compulsory acquisition of the private-owned airlines, not without some opposition, I might add. So the New Zealand uh, National Airways Act 1945 passed through the House of Representatives and the Legislative Council November 1945 and was signed into law uh, just over a week later, early December 1945. So the creation of the first state corporation and made for a distinctive entity, one which had public service obligations but also requirements for financial viability. There we are. So implicit in its brief was the expectation that uneconomic routes, particularly some of the regional routes, would be operated and subsidised by the profits from the main truck. Makes sense. Another important aspect of the new legislation was provision for the new corporation to operate air services to Fiji and to other Pacific uh, dependencies. And it was clear to many in the government that it was NAC and not Teal that was considered to be New Zealand's airline of the future. Interesting point. First person to be engaged for NAC work was Air Vice Marshal uh, Sir Leonard Isett, as Chairman of Directors, Morris Clark um, as General Manager, bringing experience from Union Airways. Now, in the transitional period from September 1946 until uh, NAC officially took over with its licences on the 1st of April 1947, services were main, maintained partly by Union Airways and partly by the new corporation. In addition to the demands of running an airline that was beginning to experience rapid passenger growth, there were major constraints on spares and the urgent planning requirements for the future. In the six months prior to April 1947, that official date, the NAC fleet grew from nine to 23 aircraft and many converted from Air Force use. Now, the birth of NAC was particularly opportune for the new post-war era that lay ahead. So with an increasingly air-minded population, advancing um, aviation technology, and you know, World War II had just accelerated that, uh, the availability of reliable war surplus aircraft and a whole new generation of trained pilots and engineers, the stage was set for absolutely unprecedented growth and, and, and development for aviation in New Zealand. However, at the same time, the post-war challenges were immense. 
with air services having been badly run down during the war years and in need of massive investment. And there remained the, the very significant task of safely operating a national airline in a unique mountainous island nation which often experienced changing weather while serving a thinly spread population. Challenges. So the success or otherwise of this daunting task was to rely mainly on the calibre and the commitment of the NAC staff or the NAC family. Well folks, what I've, I've shared thus far is by way of sort of setting the scene uh, in the mid-1940s. So for the remainder of the presentation I want to um, to give this overview, as I mentioned, in four-year blocks of the remarkable development of NAC from 1947 to 1978, a brand that became iconic here in New Zealand. Its demise 40 years ago this year, 1978. So first of all, the, the, the pioneering efforts. This is a, a rare colour photograph of a, a lodestar at Nelson in 1950. And ironically, it was both continuity and change that characterised the first pioneering years of NAC. There was continuity of operations having been taken over from Union Airways and at the same time fast-paced change with a greatly increased passenger demand, newer aircraft and recruitment uh, of many more staff, of course almost all ex-Air Force. In January 1947 the transitional airline pioneered a new route to Northland, Whangarei, uh, Kaikoui and Kaitaia and many of the foundational NAC aircraft were the most visible expression of the transfer of assets of war to civil purposes. So six DH-89 Dominies, Bruce Chapman here knows all about these, uh, were among the first new additions and their familiar wartime name quickly overtook the usage of the pre-war Rapide name. Many Lockheed Lodestars and two second-hand Lockheed Electras were also purchased. But what really made for a significant step forward was the takeover of the Dakota transport aircraft from the RNZF in June 1947 and the introduction later that year of modified and refurbished DC-3 aircraft called Douglas Airliners. Now, these aircraft flew the direct Auckland to Christchurch service and were to be synonymous with NAC for the next 27 years and here in Tauranga too. In November 1947, the regional services in the Southwest Pacific were taken over from the Air Force and carried out on behalf of the government. These South Pacific NAC services provided an important air link from New Zealand to Norfolk Island, Fiji, Tonga, Western Samoa and the Cook Islands. And the Pacific service had considerable political and social importance but required subsidies to offer. And Sunderland flying boats were used on the weekly Auckland to Fiji service and on occasions uh, charters to the Chatham Islands until this route was transferred to Teal. In fact, uh, Peter Lane's father was one of the NAC Sunderland pilots. DC-3 aircraft were used on the, the other longer routes, a weekly flight to Norfolk Island and a fortnight flight, fortnightly flight via Norfolk Island to the other Pacific Territories. There was even an international claim by NAC that their DC-3 service uh, uh, with an 875 mile nauti nautical mile sector from Nor Norfolk Island to Fiji was the longest regular direct overwater flight flown by a DC-3 in the world. 
Domestic passenger numbers increased at a fast pace in the late 1940s and early 50s, and in tandem, NAC staff numbers tripled and engineering numbers almost quadrupled as the new corporation struggled to keep pace with the demand for air services and increasing numbers of Kiwis flying. In addition to the long-established engineering workshop at Palmerston North, which was the main base, other workshops were established at Whanuapai, Gisborne, Hokitika, and a major new facility at Christchurch. Now, in conjunction with this growth, NAC faced a range of other challenges, including the extensive training of new staff to suit the civilian situation, meeting civil aviation regulations and protocols and engineering constraints, especially related to flying a diverse fleet, which is always a big challenge. It, it was a demanding time, especially for engineering management. Here's one of the Pacific uh, DC-3s. Uh, temporary headquarters for NAC were established in Wellington on Artio um, Key there, which continued to 19, uh, 1961. And initiatives were also taken to form a, a public relations branch, quite unusual in New Zealand at the time. And this was to have a crucial role in the promotion of air travel for ordinary New Zealanders. And a key strategy was to increase NAC's profile in every region. So within a couple of years of commencement, NAC opened branch offices in Auckland, Hamilton, Gisborne, Rotorua, Palmerston North, Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin and Suva, as well as appointing agents in many other centres. District managers were appointed, with the first being Doug Patterson in Auckland in 1948. So this, this regional presence, and of course here in Tauranga as well, was, I think, a key success factor for NAC and eventually led to the corporation having a very high profile throughout New Zealand in a way that Teal and Air New Zealand never had. Now, amid this growth and expansion, NAC experienced four serious aircraft accidents, all within 12 months. It was a horrendous time. First one, April 1948, uh, right here in Tauranga Airport, when a Lockheed Electra ZK AGJ crashed on approach, uh, fortunately with no injuries. The plane literally hit the water, ran up onto the beach, and everyone got out, some of them without even getting their feet uh, wet. Um, but not so with the others. In August 1948, a DC-3 freighter crashed on Craggy Ridge near Port Underwood in the Marlborough Sounds with the loss of two crew. Two months later, in October 1948, Lockheed Electra ZKAGK, that's Kaka, crashed on Mount Ruapehu with the loss of two crew and 11 passengers. And in March 1949, on the right there, Lockheed Lodestar ZKAKX crashed in the hills near Waikanae while on approach to Paraparaumu Airport with the loss of two crew and 13 passengers. 30, 30 lives lost in one year, 24 passengers, 6 crew that really shook New Zealand's confidence in aviation. Now, none of these crashes were due to any aircraft or engineering faults. Causes were weather-related, uh, cockpit navigation errors, and ground navigational inadequacies. As I say, these tragedies shocked the nation. Um, in addition to the, uh, the challenges of this rapid expansion and variety of older aircraft types, there was also political challenges when the national government considered selling NAC back to private enterprise in the early 1950s. 
In the meantime, night flying was introduced with its economic benefits as well as extra seating capacity in the DC-3s and improved scheduling and new group concession bookings. Let's look at the next little time. Out with the old and in with some new. Uh, 1951 was a memorable year for both New Zealand and NAC. Industrial relations reached a low point with the prolonged waterfront strike and this had two direct consequences for the corporation, significantly increased passenger and freight traffic and a distracted government. It meant that political initiatives to sell the airline faltered and also from this time the Lockheed Lodestars were out and the new de Havilland Herons were in. And there's one not far from where we're, where we're here tonight. The government passed uh, legislation to create the Air Services Licensing Authority in 1951, which will be familiar legislation to many of us. It now became necessary for all companies and organisations, including NAC, to apply to the authority for licences to operate as well as change to routes, fares, freight charges and aircraft types used. Very regulated. So this regulatory act shaped much of New Zealand aviation until the early 1980s. Amid these changing times, the corporation continued to develop, and in December 1951, NAC celebrating the uh, carrying its, its one millionth passenger. Standardisation on the DC-3 was decided upon, and this led to the decision to sell the Lockheed Lodestar aircraft. The last disappeared in March 1952. Now, with um, the DC-3s, with its greater capacity and better economics, was clearly the way forward until more modern turbine-powered aircraft could be available. Um, in 1952, it was announced that the new four-engine de Havilland Herons would be purchased, principally for the Cook Strait service, as the aircraft type would be able to use Rongatai, which had been closed to NAC since 1947. So the Herons were introduced March 1953 and conveniently coincided with the withdrawal of the Nelson to Wellington ferry. That was interesting. Um, NAC headquarters for all engineering was relocated from Palmerston North to Christchurch to Harewood in August 1951 and this had been preceded by the transfer of pilot training. The final uh, Pacific Regional DC-3 service was flown by NAC in November 1952 and the Norfolk Island service continued for another three years, 1955. Now, I would suggest that the, uh, the coming of age here of NAC occurred in January 1954 when Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and His Royal Highness Prince Philip were flown from Rotorua to Gisborne on a special flight. So the new Heron, uh, BEQ, was used, flown by Captain HC uh, Walker with First Officer W. Raymond and for the first time an air hostess in New Zealand, Miss A.M. Winefield. So... Passenger numbers continued to uh, increase in the early uh, to mid-1950s. However, st tragedy struck in May 1954 when a DC-3 uh, ZKAQT crashed at Raumati Beach while on approach to Paraparamumu Airport after a flight from Christchurch. Mismanagement of the fuel supply was later identified as the likely cause. And the DC crash landed into a uh, residential street uh, in, in Ramati, uh, Ramati Beach. Um, 
three children uh, died in the blaze, the DC-3 caught, fly, uh, caught fire, but amazingly the 23 adult passengers and the two crew escaped with relatively minor injuries. These were the first fatalities for NAC in more than five years, and this accident was one of the factors which later led to the appointment of air hostesses, whose task it would be to supervise the passengers in an emergency situation. After a long and uh, extensive period of investigation into the NAC, DC-3 replacement for main trunk use, uh, a decision was announced in July 1954 to order three Vickers Viscount turboprop aircraft. And the, the buy British sentiment, sentiment was very strong for both economic and patriotic reasons. This is a great shot at Dunedin in 1954. Uh, in November 1954, Wanganui was added, and in December of that year, NAC carried its second millionth passenger. So, looking ahead, 1955. The late 50s were a time of continued uh, growth in passenger numbers and airline development, general prosperity for New Zealand, most notable events were the introduction of Sunday flying, air hostesses, and the new Viscount aircraft. It was the Viscounts that really drove uh, uh, the training of the hostesses. So in May 1955, Heron services were extended to Napier, Rotorua, and Hamilton, and the aircraft operated this route for over two years until the type was withdrawn from service when Rongatai was closed in 1957. Um, NAC public relations uh, initiatives gave attention to the younger traveller with the establishment of the Children's Godwit Club in December 1955 and the promotion of air travel continued with a wide variety of general advertising and the production of promotional short films like Night Flight and NAC Freight Air. Sunday flying began with an experimental period on the main trunk route and the Cook Strait services in December 1955 and became permanent from April 1956. NAC passenger numbers were reported that same year, 1956, as being 426,295, which represented one person in every five of the total New Zealand population. This is 1956. And a ratio that appears to be surpassed in the world only by Australia. So Kiwis were flying and, and trusting NAC in greatly increasing numbers. The introduction in December 1956 of air hostesses on New Zealand domestic air routes attracted much attention. There had been a large number of applicants for training and the uh, new hostesses as the first group soon became, became an integral part of the corporation's uh, public uh, relations image. The first air hostesses flew from December 1956, allowing plenty of time for experience to be gained before the Viscounts were introduced. And from late 1960, air, air hostesses were on all NAC flights, except of course the, the dominies of the uh, Northland service. To help cope with the increasing number of passengers and in anticipation of the Viscounts coming into service, a new NAC engineering workshop uh, and administration was opened in Christchurch in May 1957, and it was also necessary for NAC to provide new engine overhaul facilities for the Rolls-Royce Dart propeller turbine engines and an engine test house. In March 1958, it was reported there were 96 engineering apprentices undergoing training at the NAC Christchurch Engineering Base. 
Over the years, the Christchurch Engineering Facility had a staff ranging from 600 to 800 people, by far the single largest component of the corporation. The first new uh, uh, Viscount for NAC, ZKBRD, City of Wellington, arrived on 10th of January 1958, over 60 years ago, to a big welcome and uh, that Viscount entered service on the 3rd of February on the Auckland to Christchurch route with two round trips per day, replacing the DC-3 on, on, on the route and ushered in a new era of commercial aviation in New Zealand. Now, most obvious to passengers were the benefits of increased speed, uh, a pressurised cabin which enabled flight you know, above much of the New Zealand turbulent weather, and a high standard of comfort with modern furnishings, air conditioning, large oval windows, huge windows in fact, comparative quietness and much reduced vibration. And at the same time, the almost elimination of air sickness, travelling public. Now the new Viscount, uh, this is a Christchurch, uh, flights on the Christchurch to Auckland to Christchurch route took about 1 hour 55 minutes but a record was reported in June 1958 of one hour 36 minutes. And this was very different from the three and a half hours of the DC-3, walking to Christchurch. Um, other than that, an unfortunate uh, landing incident at Whanuapai in 1958, the, um, the introduction of the Viscounts was really an outstanding success, and the aircraft quickly became very popular with the public. NAC, through the technical development section, continued their fleet upgrade planning in the late 1950s with extensive studies for a DC-3 replacement. And aircraft soon identified as possibilities included the Fokker Friendship and the Handley Page Herald, both with Rolls-Royce Dart engines. And in 1958-1959 there was extensive political lobbying for the contract to replace the DC-3. Uh, moving on to the next era, uh, here's the Viscount at a landing at Fenuapais. It's one of the very rare incidents they had. Uh, I think somebody pulled up the wrong lever, didn't they? Yeah. Captain and the co-pilot, they swapped seats. The captain, the one that's sitting in the captain's seat, who's going to do the, the delivery flight of the second one out from England, is being checked out. So the captain was just checking him out. But oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll shut the brakes. I'll close the brakes instead of having. Yeah, yeah, pulled up down the carriage. Yeah, there we are on their brand new aircraft. Well, moving on, turbo props take charge. This is a 1959 to 1962, and uh, early in 1959, NAC carried its fourth millionth passenger, and this marked the beginning of a period of unprecedented change for the corporation, with expansion of services and the introduction of many new turbo prop aircraft. Two new Viscounts entered service in early 1959 in Palmerston North with its airfield extensions, welcomed uh, Viscount services in April, the first destination off the main trunk route for these large aircraft. In late 1959, an order was placed finally by the government through NAC for four Fokker Friendships with delivery scheduled uh, for late 1960, and another four aircraft were ordered for delivery in early 1961. Now, I mentioned about Paraparaumu had its last day of NAC operations, 1st of November 1959, and then the transfer to the new, you know, air, uh, the new uh, airport at uh, um, Rongatai. For 12 years, uh, Paraparaumu had been synonymous with DC-3 aircraft of NAC. Now, 1960 
Uh, NAC staff consisted of, at headquarters, 161 people, flying staff, pilots, 176, air hostesses, 50, engineering stores at Christchurch, 652. There were also 15 branches, town, city town offices and, and airports, including here in Tauranga, including aircraft maintenance with 884 staff. This made for a total NAC staff family 1960 of 1,923. Now the year of 1961 was the single year of biggest change since the corporation began. And here's the new, um, the new uh, um, uh, Fokker Friendships. One new uh, Viscount was added, eight new friendships were introduced into the fleet and this marked an, an important transitional period in which the DC-3s were progressively replaced on many of the secondary routes. And this work involved uh, further training and modification of many systems including the challenge of readjusting timetables to bring the new aircraft into productive use. However, the full utilisation of these modern aircraft were often hampered by the continuing restricted number of suitable aircraft for the turboprop aircraft, together with a serious delay in the uh, completion of Mamona there at uh, Dunedin. Uh, and this is a cockpit of a friendship. On 12th of December 1960, the first Friendship ZK BXA arrived in Wellington and entered service on the 22nd of December. And friendships were soon introduced on many provincial uh, routes to places like Nelson, Invercargill, Whanganui and Palmerston North, particularly as their runways and terminal facilities were upgraded. And uh, the introduction of these new aircraft, the same here in Tauranga, massive community events to welcome this big advance in technology. Now with the new aircraft um, making a real uh, impact, it was, uh, this is a Wanganui first service, it was reported in March 1961 that there was a continuing and significant increase in air freight business for NAC. However, there was a fall off in passenger traffic in the early 1960s, mainly associated with a general economic downturn of the time, the introduction of the Aramoana roll-on, roll-off ferry, and maybe the, the competition by spans. Um, July 1961 was a disaster day when the NAC headquarters were burnt down in Atia um, Key there in Wellington, loss of all the records too, and just the following month the general manager, Captain Jack Bush, also died. Uh, replaced by uh, Doug Patterson, who was destined to continue as the influential general manager of NAC for the next 17 years. Now, NAC made a rare foray into the small airline business with the purchase in 1961 of a one-third shareholding in Tauranga-based Bay of Plenty Airways. And this was the only occasion NAC invested in a small airline, but ironically, it was only two months later the airline's Tra tragically lost its aero commander on Mount Ruapehu and of course there's an extensive display downstairs and this directly led to the demise of Bay of Plenty Airways. Dunedin's new Mamona Airport was finally opened May 62, almost 12 months behind schedule but initially was available only for friendship operations under visual flight conditions. Further new NAC destination 1962 was Fokotani which joined the NAC provincial network. So the corporation introduced a Gisborne, Fokotani, Tauranga, Auckland service on the same day, 1st of November 1962, and it was well supported by uh, Bay of Plenty people. Well, the next era, the DC-3 
lives in you to fight another day, 1963-1966. Now, even with the emphasis on NAC's new turboprop aircraft, uh, a new lease of life was needed for the DC-3, thanks particularly to the uh, competition from Spans. So 1963 also NAC flew Queen Elizabeth and the Duke of Edinburgh on a Viscount flight from Dunedin to Christchurch. Uh, but this event was overshadowed the very next day when another Viscount overran the southern end of Wellington's runway. And while the incident uh, looks very dramatic, and it, it was, there was fortunately no injuries and uh, minimal damage, quite remarkable. In one sense, it's quite a dangerous airport, Wellington, isn't it? But there's been very few incidents like that. From early in the year, the Christchurch engineering base was busy with the major upgrade of many of the DC-3s, and uh, disaster struck on the 3rd of July, 1963, a, day, uh, a date known by many Bay of Plenty people, 3rd of July, 1963, with, when the NAC DC-3 flight 441 from Auckland uh, to Tauranga, to Gisborne, to Napier, to Wellington, crashed into the, uh, the Kaimai Range with the death of the three crew and the 20 passengers. This was a, a nationwide tragedy with an outpouring of uh, public sympathy as many volunteers helped and others extended care to those who had lost loved ones. Helicopters also played a pioneering role in the search and recovery operations. Very difficult time for NAC staff, uh, some of the families, especially here in Tauranga and Gisborne. And the accident there on the top of the Kaimai Range is still the worst aviation accident on New Zealand soil. Long may it continue to be so. The latter part of 1963 continued to mark a changing era for NAC with the first television commercial being broadcast using a Friendship aircraft as the star. Same time, the last Domini aircraft, ZKAKY, just preceded by AKU that's based here in Tauranga, was withdrawn from its northern service. And the, the Dominis, the DH-89s, had served NAC from its beginning in 1946 right through until 1963. And the annual report said tribute must be paid to the part this aircraft type, the DH-89, has played in fostering air services in these parts of New Zealand. Um, following some national government promptings during 1964, Barr, Burgess and Stewart conducted a study as to whether NAC and Teal you know, uh, Air New Zealand from the 1st of April 1965 should be merged into one airline. And their report, uh, released in 1965, recommended against amalgamation, two distinct entities with a different uh, culture, really. Auckland's new international airport opened for operations in November 1965. The first aircraft to take off from the new airport was an NAC DC-3 freighter there, Graham. Um, earlier in July, uh, an NAC DC-3 had also made one of the first landings. NAC hostesses uh, enjoyed a, a stylish new uniform, 1966. This was the first time there'd been a complete change of hostess uniform design and colour, and the new uniform was made of Orwell uh, uh, Barathea, a colour especially created for NAC and named Golden Cloud. Uh, management noted that in March 1966, NAC would carry for the first time one million passengers in a calendar year. 
and the comment was made, this milestone of progress is indicative of the popularity which Air New Zealand and New Zealand enjoys. In this respect, New Zealand shares pride of place only with the United States of America in having the greatest number of domestic air passengers to total population, approximately one in three. That's 1966, over 50 years ago. NAC and Blenheim's Safe Air signed a contract in 1966 for SAFE to carry much of the NAC freight and this led to the end of the DC-3 freight service and aircraft were progressively withdrawn from later that year. From then on all freight in excess of the capacity provided in NAC passenger aircraft will be carried by SAFE Air. A milestone of the 10th millionth passenger carried by NAC was celebrated in May 1966 and with passenger traffic still increasing, four more friendships were delivered that year, and in December the fifth and final Viscount. Well, the next stage. Here come the Jets, 1967 to 1970, and I might say 50, more than 50 years ago. By the late 1960s, NAC was a mature and efficiently run organisation. The 21st anniversary of the, uh, of the corporation coincided with the introduction of pure jet aircraft on the main trunk routes, and signalled a new era of New Zealand aviation development. In May 1967, uh, a friendship was the first NAC aircraft to be painted with the new National Airways livery, and the scheme was to be worn by the Boeings the following year. And the, the board also made at that time, 1967, a, a significant decision when it decided to go ahead with a new computer reservation system called uh, DORUC and this in, involved purchasing advanced IBM computers and considerable planning and work was done leading up to the phasing in of the new system from late 1970. And uh, Viscount uh, BRD had the distinction in 1967 of becoming the first NAC aircraft to be fitted with a flight data recorder. Now the, the, um, the prepared the preparations for the introduction of the Boeing 737s were a major undertaking by the corporation. In March 1968, training of specialist maintenance personnel and aircrew commenced with engineers and pilots going to the Boeing factory in Seattle. There was a range of work to be done, including administrative and uh, facility alterations to meet the requirements. Procedures for ground handling at airports were also revised in order to handle the larger number of passengers to and from the aircraft. 21 years of official NAC operations were commemorated in various ways at this time. So virtually the whole period from 1947 to 1961 had been one of continuous development of commercial aviation within New Zealand. Passenger numbers travelling in, in 1947 were 150,040 people. In 1968 it was 1,155,000. Incredible sort of growth. Uh, NAC inaugurated a new transalpine route in uh, December 1968, one of the last routes when the Christchurch to Hoka ticket service was launched. I was there as a boy. Um, so the first Boeing 737s, we might just back up one slide if we can, uh, Des. Um, the first Boeing 737 uh, approximately, uh, pro sorry, appropriately registered ZK NAC I don't know if that one's NAC, arrived in New Zealand September 1968. Who remembers that momentous occasion when the 737s arrived? Good number of people. Um, and was introduced on services from October 1968. So we've had these jet services 
uh, on the main trunks since 1968, so Mojanka people have no idea of what, what, what went before. The new jets cut the Auckland to Christchurch flight time from 1 hour 55 minutes in the Viscounts to 1 hour 20 minutes uh, in the Boeings. And in fact, not much different today, is it? Uh, so the new jets enable the Viscounts to begin their major airframe work and eventually uh, their withdrawal. And uh, yeah, keep on going again, we'll go forward. And, uh, um, and again, there we are. Yes, there we are. I thought you'd be interested in that shot. Uh, in in mid-1970, and uh, uh, the NAC introduced a new hostess uniform with miniskirts and vibrant modern colours, and the new design made quite an impression and staff soon coined the, the lollipop name for the new style. And I might add, when we did our tour around New Zealand for the um, 60 years of NAC in, 19, in 2007, we had a number of uh, former hostesses who could still fit into their uniforms with us, and wherever we went, uh, a lot of media interest, they weren't interested in talking to me and Peter as the historians, they wanted to talk to the hostess. Uh, and it was just amazing interest, and especially the golden cloud uniform, and this uniform too. In mid-1970, you know, I mentioned about the uniform, uh, air fares increased. Mid-1970, the era of the DC-3 was coming to an end. And June 1970, the last uh, services uh, were flown. Um, and uh, November 1970, Westport Air Airport was also reopened and to friendships. Well, we move to the next, um, next era, 1971-1974, and get going on more... Uh, Boeing's, this is at Invercargill. Increased uh, passenger growth necessitated more capacity, and so in the early 1970s, uh, NAC acquired further Boeing 737s. Seating capacity was also increased from 95 to 100 in the existing aircraft, and the new additional aircraft were an integral part of the plan to replace the aging Viscounts. From February 1971, the network reservation system was fully transferred to computer and all NAC branches were linked to the new head office centre in Wellington. The system was claimed at the time, 1971, to be amongst the most technologically advanced in New Zealand. From the early 1970s, freight volume increased markedly, generating extra revenue for NAC. The increase in freight was due to a range of factors, including frequency of services, aggressive marketing, and the larger freight capacity of the uh, 737 aircraft. In July 1971, the fourth 737 was delivered, and uh, in March 1972, NAC celebrated its 25th anniversary. So the growth of the corporation during this time had been spectacular. The 1947 fleet uh, uh, created 40 million passenger miles, and this had increased 15 times to 610 million passenger miles by 1972. The number of passengers carried annually had gone from 147,000 in 1947 to 1.5 per year in uh, 1972. And there'd been massive technological development from the, the pre-war de Havilland wooden biplanes like the Domini uh, through to modern jets. Unprecedented growth and an advance that will, I don't think, ever happen again. So over the years there was much continuity of management leadership and this was a key factor in the unity and the, the family nature of NAC and those of you who are NAC staff will attest to that, personified by the eff efforts of General Manager Doug Patterson. Now the, the DC-3 actually made an unexpected comeback in June 1972 
when it operated for two years from Christchurch to uh, Omaru. And uh, later in 1972, Safe Air became a fully owned NAC subsidy. And this was a time of wider investment, as at that time NAC also took a shareholding in New Zealand Aerospace Industries in Hamilton. And in 1973, uh, took a small uh, shareholding in Mount Cook Airlines. At this time, NAC provided many pilots and engineers on loan to Malaysian Airlines to assist in the setting up of that airline. And this was consistent with the developing work of NAC with other airlines and was an expression of its international reputation, especially through its well-equipped operational training and engineering resources at Christchurch. These specialised commercial facilities were appealing to a number of airlines from as far afield as India and Canada, and especially those in the Pacific area and those who operated Boeing 737 aircraft. Commonwealth Games were, were held in Christchurch in 1974 and attracted much international uh, attention and as a prominent supporter NAC placed the Games logo on its aircraft. 1973 the first 500 series French uh, aircraft were introduced in the fleet and with extra capacity this was the 14th uh, friendship at NAC service. A fifth 737 was introduced in 1973 and at the same time the Viscount City of Wellington, the former flagship, was retired from service after nearly 16 years of service, 35,477 hours. In June 1974 the, uh, the engineering training uh, facility at Christchurch Airport was enlarged and upgraded and named the Leonard Isett Aviation Training Centre. The very successful uh, new Wings of the Nation NAC branding was introduced at this time when the Boeing 737ZK NAC became the first aircraft of the fleet to be rolled out in the new livery. And we come to the last era, 1975-1978. Now the late 1970s continued as a time of development and change. The National Party, some of us well remember, gained power in 1975. Remember it was a landslide in 75, a landslide to Labour in 72 led this time by Prime Minister uh, Robert Muldoon, a political development that was going to lead to profound repercussions for the future of NAC. Passenger growth for the year to March 1975 meant that uh, NAC carried for the first time more than 2 million passengers in one calendar year. 737 services were inaugurated in Vicargill and in the same month uh, Friendship 500 series services under Chartered Air New Zealand commenced between Auckland and Norfolk Island. This was reminiscent of NAC's South Pacific service 20 years before. In September 1975, the last Viscount was retired from NAC service after a, uh, uh, an amazing record, really. And with the retirement of both the DC-3 and the Viscount types, uh, NAC finally realised its long-term plan to operate only two aircraft types. Good idea. During 1976, a review was undertaken of passenger transport between city town centres and airports in both provincial towns and cities. A nominal charge that had been introduced in 1971, but with uh, escalating costs and in the interests of the majority of passengers paying for a service they did not require, services were stopped. You might forget that. A lot of people came out to the airport in the airport bus, not by private car. NAC uh, hostesses, we, we see there, were given a new red, white and blue houndstooth uniform in June 1976, which was more refined and elegant than the previous uniform. It's an opinion, I guess. By the mid-1970s, public opinion was slowly turning against smoking, especially in confined spaces. 
Consequently, NAC introduced a partial non-smoking policy on its aircraft, with 30% of the seating capacity being allocated for smokers and 70% for non-smokers. But you remember the cabin was completely open, didn't it? It makes sense, doesn't it? And in March 1977, NAC introduced its new Carina uh, booking and ticketing system, which had been developed over the previous two years. This replaced the DORAC reservation system the following month. At this time, 93% of reservation transactions through the country, this is 1977, were made through visual display units directly connected to central computers at the Wellington headquarters by a sophisticated medium-speed communications network, cutting-edge technology. It was reported in December 1977 that NAC, with their 13 Fokker friendships, uh, that's the 100 series and the 500 series, was the largest operator friendship aircraft in the world. On 16th of December of that year, NAC friendship NFC, leaving on a charter flight to Norfolk Island, was the first aircraft to depart from the new Auckland International Airport Terminal. In September 1977, the Minister of Civil Aviation, the Honourable Colin McLaughlin, unexpectedly announced that a study would be undertaking regarding a possible amalgamation of NAC and Air New Zealand. And with the changed political landscape, the process did not take long, and despite extensive reports, many objections from NAC, it was announced on the 19th of December 1977 that NAC and Air New Zealand would merge from the 1st of April the following year. The new airline would be named New Zealand Airlines Limited. Although well prior to the merger, a decision was made to retain the Air New Zealand name. Now, the decision was an abrupt and politically imposed end to New Zealand's two-airline policy and came as a shock to most of the NAC staff. It was a difficult and uh, undeserved end to NAC. Even Sir Geoffrey Roberts of Air New Zealand later reflected that the merger was, quote, the right thing done at the wrong time in the wrong way, unquote. In the last couple of months of NAC operation, the corporation continued much as usual. A significant milestone was reported in March 1978 when the 30th millionth NAC passenger was carried. NAC had its last day on the 31st of March 1978 and it was a sobering time for the 3,523 staff. And that evening flight 434, that was Captain Kirk, wasn't it? From Wellington to Auckland, operated by Boeing 737ZKNAP, flew the final NAC service. Just a few brief reflections in terms of my conclusion. The 1978 merger brought to an end a distinguished and you could say unique era of New Zealand aviation history. Uh, New Zealand National Airways Corporation was iconic for, uh, for Kiwis and its demise was lamented by many. However, the mixture of political, social and commercial objectives from the 1945 NAC Act had been honourably fulfilled throughout the years. And certainly the level of uh, the volume of traffic and frequency of services had made NAC an indispensable part of the New Zealand transport system, always valued by businessmen, tourists and private travellers alike. So today Air New Zealand can claim a, a significant part of its legacy and it needs to be constantly reminded of it. A significant part of its legacy from the remarkable era of the New Zealand Airways Corporation 1947 to 1978.
just a couple more slides I think you might have there, Diaz. What have we got? I, I didn't want to miss the opportunity of just talking about Erebus, which of course happened post-NAC, um, but um, with my chaplaincy work in the aviation industry and my work on the Kaimai Crash Memorial, it seemed to me uh, there's a real omission here that this terrible accident, 257 people, 40th anniversary coming up uh, November next year, there's no memorial in New Zealand. There's nowhere where the 257 names can be suitably uh, displayed and honoured. So in 2016, myself and a few other historians joined me. We started to advocate to government that there should be a memorial for New Zealand's worst civil disaster. And when you think about the money and the attention to Pike River, with 29 victims and uh, the Canterbury Earthquake Memorial with 185, uh, here's Erebus with 257, that's, nothing's been done. Appalling, appalling pastorally to the Erebus families. Well, late last year the government did finally agree, and now progress is steaming ahead. They don't think they'll have the memorial ready for November 2019. It'll bump into 2020, but a memorial's better than just hitting the 40th anniversary. So I wanted you just to know about that. Do have a look at the Erebus website, Erebus National Memorial, which we created. And if you know of Erebus families, please ask them to register. And is there one more slide? There is. Right, uh, talking about dominies, uh, rapides, this is my father's dominy and the shot over river in Queenstown. And I've just finished my latest aviation book about the history of de Havilland rapides. These are the longest flown aircraft in New Zealand. They've been flying every year in New Zealand since 1934, right up to the present day, uh, without a fatality. It was this particular incident. So my book is about the DH-89 type and about this particular accident in the Shotover River, which was a very unusual accident. And in my book, I critique air accident investigation in New Zealand today and point out some of the many inadequacies. I'll be launching the book here at Classic Flyers on the, uh, the 21st of November. And thanks to Bruce's cooperation, we'll have Dominie ZKAKU front and centre because it's also 75 years that very month that ZKAKU uh, flew here in New Zealand. A remarkable record. So uh, you'll probably know about that through Des and others. I'm tagging on those little comments at the end. I didn't want to miss them. Uh, anyway, folks, I'm just wondering if there's, we've got just a few minutes whether there's any questions. I was just wondering whether the memorial to Erebus is going to be, that's a very good question. Yeah, nothing's been released, but there was only 10 passengers who came from the South Island. The majority of passengers and the crew came from Waikato in Auckland. I think it's likely, the families tell us, the Erebus families tell us they want a memorial that is elegant, accessible, and not in a cemetery. So um, I'm assuming it's going to land somewhere in the greater Auckland area. But we'll see what the government decide they're, they're funding it. Yes. Intrigued by uh, the introduction of uh, Sunday air operations. Yes. Uh, big event at the time. Yes. In comparison to today's yeah. shopping, so to speak. Was the non-event of airline travel on Sundays a religious thing, or was it simply commercial? Yeah, well, probably a little bit of both. Although the pre-war airlines actually flew on Sundays, rather ironic. So there was a bit of a sort of glitch with the wartime and then starting off in the 40s. So, uh, you know, of course it was economic to fly seven days a week. Uh, when they brought these aircraft out to New Zealand, what sort of route did they fly? Uh, well, you know, the, the British Havillands were sort of freighted out, um, but the Boeings, of course, were flown, you know, across the Pacific. And, uh, and then the Fokker friendships from Europe, so a long 
ferry flights, it was considered a bit of a perk, I think, if you wanted the fruit, you've got to go to Amsterdam to pick up the Falk of Friendship to bring back to New Zealand. So quite some stories and photographs in our NAC book about those long ferry flights. Yeah, um, actually, as far as the first Boeing 757 was concerned, it actually flew over um, Gisborne to Mark, arriving in New Zealand over where Captain Cook. They tried in 1968, yes. Mm. What sort of um, uh, cost of flying in those days, like her? Yeah, I, I can't immediately tell you, Wally, the sort of the uh, the numbers, except to, except to say that um, it was very expensive, and it was not really until the 1970s it was more accessible to ordinary people, and that's reflected in the, in the traffic numbers. But before the war in the 40s and 50s. A lot of business people flew rather than ordinary travellers, unless they had, you know, discretionary money. And uh, also, that was reflected in the standard of dress. So you, you know, you dressed up, jackets and tie and glove and hats. You didn't fly with with jandals and t-shirts, that people do today. Yeah. Well, thank you, folks. You've been very attentive. It's a solid message, but that's uh, NAC, which we uh, honour and remember. Thanks, Des. Made a few notes, Richard. <laughs> now, on behalf of the Bay of Plenty branch, thank you for presen uh, presenting the annual Jean Batten lecture this evening. We're grateful for the time uh, and your effort that you took to share your knowledge and thoughts about the history of New Zealand National Airways Corporation. As a state monopoly, NAC fulfilled its purpose in providing air services that met the needs of the people. A um, couple of things that I, you jolted my memory in your address. Um, DORAC, I remembered what it stood for, Development of Reservations uh, and Communication. And also, I've got Chess Lake sitting, he didn't know that I was sitting right behind him, but um, I was one of the first on the scene when BWO went over the end of uh, the runway at Wellington Airport. I didn't work for NAC at the time. Put you off. No, it was a reason I thought wouldn't mind joining the airline. Um, Chess and I were actually members of the Lowell Bay Surf Club. Right, Chess, I don't know if you were on the beach that day, but we had a six-man training, and we were standing on the beach when we heard this noise. We all looked towards the airport, and we saw BWO tail first, pointing towards us, going down the runway. Um, Andy Baggett was the skipper, and Bob Maris was the first officer. Apparently, they got a downwind component right on touchdown, and it was a wet runway and it just aquaplaned down. Andy tried to get it off the runway onto the grass, thinking that that may help, but it just sort of plopped over the end. By the time it had plopped over the end, six of us guys were over the wall at the beach into one of Paddy Perkinson's car, you know Paddy, and we shot round to the end of the runway, climbed over the uh, hurricane fence, and uh, we were in bare feet and uh, swim gear, and we actually beat the crash fire guys to the scene. <laughs> Anyway, guiding air transport from a condition of post-war austerity to the relative luxury of jet age, NAC was always challenged to meet its mixture of social, political and commercial objectives. Your, your address was well-researched, timed and informative. The subject is always of interest to me, being a 15-year employee of the airline, uh, an organisation that I never left. 
it left me um, and the other dedicated members of the staff. Um, there was therefore much sentiment and uh, mixed emotion uh, with the merger with Air New Zealand uh, when it formally took effect and the merging of the two airlines, um, it was NAC that got submerged. This question, however, was quickly lost by the travelling public. Um, interestingly, it's now 50 years, and you pointed that out, exactly since NAC introduced the Boeing 737 twin jet service into its timetable on scheduled routes. And um, I noticed that one of the sectors that it flew included Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin on a twin jet something that you would probably be hard-pressed to do today. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like uh, uh, you to join me uh, and show your appreciation and thanking Richard uh, in the usual manner. Thank you, Richard, very much. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.